welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. Here we talk about everything healthcare and technology, and I'm your host, James Somaru. Hey everybody, this week I'm joined by Dan Vadat, the CEO and founder of global digital health company, Humor, which not-for-profit is helping double COVID-19 clinical capacity for hospitals across the UK, Germany, and the UAE using digital wards. Humor uses people's phones, digital biomarkers, and connected sensors to collect and share patient data with their clinicians and researchers. They're already helping with COVID and they're now tackling the patient waiting list backlog by helping care for patients before and after surgery, helping hospitals prioritize those most in need. Dan, welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. How are you doing, sir? Very good, very good. Thank you so much, James, for having us. No worries. Um, we obviously know each other pretty well, don't we? It's, it's been years, like since the Digital Health London Accelerator. Like, what's that, four or five years? Chelsea and Westminster, I believe, was like the contract back then, like really early days, like like the growth that I've seen of what was Meadowpad back then and now Humor has just been outrageous. Like, it's just been awesome. And I'm so looking forward to like getting into it. I remember actually doing a Forbes article even on you guys um, and bits and bobs that you were, that when you actually, when you actually became humor and you acquired a couple of companies as well, like so much has been happening, man, in like short space of time. And now actually I saw the FT said you were actually the quickest in health tech in the UK or tech in the UK, but I'm sure we'll come on to all that stuff. But before we get going, whereabouts are you speaking to us from today, Dan? I'm calling in from our office, actually. It's the first time I came to the office after many weeks of working from home uh, in London, our London office. And it's actually great to be back. It feels, obviously, the office is still more or less empty, but it feels to, feels good to be back. Where are you? Your South Bank, right? Or North Bank? Uh, we are on the north, north side. Yeah. Tower, um, near the Parliament. Very nice. Awesome location. Um, we have an amazing view. Yeah, I bet. I bet. And you've given me the view of the other side, like just the corridor, which is great. Thanks for that. You could have done this in the boardroom, honestly. Um, cool, man. So the way we start these podcasts, man, is I get you to tell your story. And so obviously you've got an awesome background leading to what you're up doing now with humor. Um, but it'd be great for our listeners if you could just give us a bit of a flavor of uh, how you got to where you are. I think it's a journey that everybody goes through their life to really, really find, hopefully, a passion that they can dedicate themselves into for the rest of their life, hopefully. And for me, coming and growing up in a medical family, my father is a cardiologist, my sister, she's a doctor. Uh, I did go to Johns Hopkins uh, for my PhD which ended up disappointing my father to some extent and left before I finished to start the company a while back. Um, I somehow, although I didn't want to do anything in healthcare from one perspective because I know how hard it is and by just observing my, my, my family and our professors at Hopkins, how hard it is to build medtech, biotech, digital health tech companies. It was... And now it is, I think, the only things matter to do. At the end of the day, and this is not a, you know, 
a point that I got into it in one day. It's just a, a journey that I took. Uh, you want to dedicate your life into something that it is the best thing. And just stay really focused on that. And I think there's nothing better than helping people with their life and their health and, and bringing smiles to them, helping them living longer, fuller lives, which is kind of our, 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 our tagline as a company. And the journey of leaving the school, having exposure to the hospitals back in, in Hopkins, and then a little bit as part of my PhD research at Oxford, we thought there is a really big problem here to solve by enabling the better access of the data. And that was the kind of the high, high level. And as we went through the journey one, one, one day after another day, it became very clear that in parallel to the technology advancements, the opportunity is much, much bigger than we thought. Mm. Uh, if you're looking at the healthcare as a whole, you have very kind of a centralized model. You have to go to the hospitals for your care. Some of these patients, you know, at any point in time, something can go wrong. But what if you can bring the hospitals to the patient's home? What if we can bring the hospital to the patient's pocket? And the, the, the potentials on the impact, it's massive. And this is kind of the whole philosophy that shaped what HUMI stands for today and long-term in the future. Obviously now we do a little bit more than that, uh, but that's the kind of the short, I guess, overview. Yeah, I like it. I want to talk to you about the early day. I mean, you've you mentioned your background, right? So your PhD in Oxford and and um, and John Hopkins and stuff like that. Obviously, gave you. It, so. Say again. I didn't finish it, so technically. Um, <laughs> disappointing everyone along the way. Yeah, as I say, my, I think my dad still thinks I'm paid by guys in Thomas's Hospital, so don't worry about it. Um, yeah, I get it. I, I get it. And I think you know you, you end up following that passion, don't you? And you end up you end up going well. I can make more impact or I can, I actually just enjoy this more or I do actually love this extra, th this, this thing, which isn't the core thing. And, you know, I was speaking to someone uh, last week on this podcast and when you leave something like a PhD or even when you leave medicine or clinical work, we call it quitting, which is super interesting because I suppose in a way you are, but like, particularly in healthcare and medicine, like you, you don't call it that if you change jobs normally, like in a, in a normal job, in inverted commas, you, know, you don't call it quitting. And similarly, if you're doing a PhD and you decide you want to go on a different path and found a company and, and do something different, it's strange that it's called quitting. It's strange that we sort of apologize for it as you've just done. It's, it's bizarre because I think we almost need to normalize trying something and not working for you and then picking another path. And because I think when it comes to innovation and you know, you're a perfect example of this, like when it comes to innovate, that's what innovative people do. They will realize this isn't right. I'm not getting fueled by this. I'm not, I'm not getting the ideas. I'm not getting the joy. You know what? I'm going to go and do something else. And actually you take the skill set and you take what you've done so far and you apply it to something different, which is exactly what you've done. And I think that is fueling so much innovation in healthcare. The people that have in inverted commas quit and then they've gone and done like computer science and thought, right, I'm going to build something now for healthcare. You know, it, it's how we're going to move things forwards. And oh, I, I think it's a great move. And it clearly, it clearly was given what you're achieving now. So talk to me about getting the idea for humor 
and talk to me about how you turned that idea into a sort of initial reality. Obviously, I don't know how it has really worked for other people, but for us, it wasn't just like I woke up one day with an idea and then we pursue. It rarely I is, to be honest. We and myself, you know, we had a collective uh, possibility and a dream and a collective belief that what if we can help people that because of their disease, they hurt or they die earlier, we can avoid those or we can delay those, then that is a really nice uh, you know, world to live in. And what if we can democratize that for everybody, not only for rich people or countries that are more advanced, but something that almost everybody can, can, can do. And there, if you talk about these things, um, data becomes important and technology uh, and IT becomes important because these are the things that, that can scale and they can have phenomenal impacts on the outcome and visibility that you ultimately need about your health to be able to intervene and hopefully avoid those uh, on uh, not fun e events. Uh, so that was the journey started. As mentioned, initially we were focused on how can we harmonize kind of the data that exists in the hospital systems and increase the insight and practice predictive care through that path. But the technology in parallel of what we were doing in outside of the hospital settings started to advance in light speed, you know? Mm. Look at it like five years ago, we didn't have the sensor and the computing powers that connected devices, variables, mobile phones, and so on and so forth, they have. You couldn't collect a lot of the vital signs that now are given five, six years ago in a reliable way from your oxygen saturation to heart rate to glucose monitoring in real time, blood pressure monitoring uh, in some cases, and so on. And then we thought, okay, if you're really true into impacting lives of everyone, it's harder to achieve it with a centralized model. We have to decentralize it. Mm. And the decentralization has to be on something that everybody has already in their pocket. Otherwise, you have to build an infrastructure from scratch, which is almost a really big undertaking. And this is where phones come to play uh, because everybody has in their pocket. The computing power is fantastic. The love between the user and their phone is phenomenal. So it's a really great platform. And the sensors started to come in. And technically speaking, you can bring a lot of sensor data that you can collect now in the hospitals at home. And sometimes even more. That is the funny part. You can collect sometimes even more data, a better data, a cleaner data, and more organized data, which is a gold mine in a way to be able to drive insight from it 24-7, not for two, three days that you might be in ICU, for the journey that you have to go as a part of your disease A to B. And that trending possibility uh, it really excited us and we started to see, okay, this can be like a, not a game changer, a lifesaver for people. Uh, and, and we doubled down in the whole concept of, okay, can we use technology that is configurable, secure, regulatory and clinically solid so that we empower and increase the capacity of the hospital so they deal most of the patients that traditionally had to get into the hospital some one way or the other to their home. And that kind of worked out. And I think we got lucky 
And we are very humbled by the trust of governments like Germany, UK, and some other countries that they partner with us nationally or regionally to help them and to complement what they have and ultimately increase their capacity uh, almost by twice in some cases. Uh, and, and, and this has been what has kept us really busy for the past few years. And that led into almost an identical play, but for a totally different industry that when we started, I didn't even know about that industry in details, which is clinical trials. Okay. And in our world, we call it virtual clinical trial. But the play is the same. And instead of the user, the participants, they go to the clinical trial site, which is usually a clinic or a hospital. What if you can bring the clinical trial site to the patient's home? This way, not only you can simplify the whole bringing patients on board, recruitment, and collecting better data faster, being able to intervene at the right time. These are really costly events for clinical trial sites. But also, you can give an opportunity to everybody to participate to a clinical trial. Not only select people that randomly get lucky to some extent. And we have seen that, you know, we did a project with Stanford Medicine and Bayer. In one month, we hired and recruited all the patients, something that traditionally would have taken 12 months and nobody needed to go to the clinic. Everything was remotely and your CG mm. and blood pressure and all the things that you have to do, when you have to do it, what you have to do, how you have to do it, you were getting the schedule for it according to the clinical protocol. So, and that is the other part that we are super excited about. That's awesome, man. So I just want to strip this back for our listeners, right? So when, when I think about what you're talking about, right? hospitals at home using remote monitoring stuff in terms of like the pathway so you've obviously got a patient at one end that has symptoms those symptoms travel through wearables they probably go through some sort of ai to clean the signals they go through some sort of process which determines uh what's actionable what's normal those actionable bits then have to go to a clinician that clinician then needs to communicate back to the patient to tell them what to do or indeed that might be automated of that system what does what bits does humor do obviously we partner with healthcare system so we don't provide clinical capacity doctor time coaching time yeah we are like a pure technology platform company. Uh, and our only goal is to empower the current healthcare system as they run to run more efficiently and digitally and be able to do a lot of things in a more of a decentralized way. Uh, so you're essentially the platform that all of that will sit on. Exactly. Yeah. So beyond the clinical part, everything else we do. Yeah our platform supports. Having said that, we are also a big believer that humor cannot be the best in everything. And this is why we made a decision that we are not gonna go big in hardware. We're gonna connect to hundreds of hardware mm. that are out there, the best sensors of different companies for different use cases. Or even more so, some 
algorithms, whether it's AI driven or not, uh, some functionality that somebody might have built a company with a lot of knowledge of that field, uh, we might integrate it to our platform so that it's not really Huma as a company our partners partner with. It's like a Huma ecosystem mm. that uh, our, com- our partners, healthcare systems, life sciences companies are partnering with. And that is amazing because that also gives the power to the partner. It makes our platform future-proof. They can choose what is good for them. What is the technology that they really need? And if sometimes tomorrow there's a new tech, they will get it tomorrow. They don't need to wait for me, Huma, or someone else to build it and validate it and make it ready. It just you get that. And that is important to be able to accelerate the adoption of innovation in healthcare in the real world. This is one of the problems in healthcare. It usually takes a long time, as you know. And we really want to help that because if you can accelerate the success of uh, innovation, you're solving a lot of problems faster. Mm. And the whole things will take care of it, we, we, we think. And we see it now. Got it. So partnering with the hardware, partnering with those, um, yeah, those life science companies and things like that, and then being the technology platform apart from the clinical bit that everybody can then use to deliver that clinical bit and be able to give that advice and close that loop and sort of enabling those patients to be at home and all of those different things. So who... Who buys it then? Who's the who's the customer? You've mentioned sort of government level, uh, UK, Germany, UAE. Who who actually purchases it, and how is it how is it deployed? Yeah. So, country to country, project to project, it could vary. We have direct partnership with governments and health ministry and Department of Health and so on of different countries. These are often national deals across a whole country or across a big part of the country. Uh, We do partners directly with healthcare systems uh, and hospitals in that case, or group of, you know, CCGs and and so on in in the case of UK. Uh, We also partner federal level, like for instance, in Germany, we are like partnering federal level on top of the national level. and then obviously with life sciences companies, it would be direct with life sciences companies. So these are the primary partners that we are partnered with. Uh, we recently started partnering with insurance companies, a major partnership, but those are very new for us and we will announce it in coming months. Uh, but that is new. Sure. No, that makes sense. So obviously, Recently, uh, depending on when this goes out, the, uh, the the pandemic is is on everyone's sort of mind, right? And f- particularly for those in health tech that have built different solutions to help and those different things. Obviously, with what you're doing in the remote monitoring at home, COVID nineteen is obviously a really big, well, what is probably just a value proposition for for your service, right? So, how have you guys adapted to COVID nineteen, and what has what has the company done? Yeah, when a pandemic happened, uh, we as a company, obviously we were exposed to it a bit early on because of our operations in China. Oh, interesting. So we started kind of sensing it and feeling it earlier than probably companies that they don't have operations in China. And as a result of that, we started, okay, really taking it seriously early days. 
And then when it was like end of February, March, almost last year, exactly one year ago, uh, things didn't look good. And we made a bet. Uh, we said, you know what? We have a lot of projects we can commit to. They're commercially great in line with kind of the company strategy and so on and so forth. Or we can forget all of that going <laughs> forward and really sharp focus on this COVID situations. And it was a really hard call at the time because there were so many unknowns, but we felt we built this company to have impact. So this is the time to have impact. We just didn't know how big that impact could become. Uh, and we called even some of our partners and said, look, you know what, we wanted to work with you, but we got to focus on this for the next six months. If that's okay, we don't enter the new partnership with you guys or delayed or whatever. And everyone fully like, they loved it and supported it. Uh, and we really put everything we knew and everything we had from every projects we have ever done, every pilots we have ever concluded for every disease we played at because of the configurability of the platform, we had a lot of exposures to just see what we can do here. And we also felt pandemic is a time that people panic. Mm -hmm. And fundamentally, I don't like engage in a business when I'm in panic or my partner is in a panic. Yes. It's not a fair business. We felt, okay, to ensure that we stay true to our commitment, we will do these deals not for profit, ensuring that we don't you know, end up uh, while we could increasing uh, the margins or so on. Uh, and we wanted to make sure that at least we want to cover our costs. And that's, yeah. that's good enough. In some cases, we did it full pro bono. In London for the first year, we said, you know what, London is our town. We love it. We want London back. We committed our technology for free for the entire London. Wow. London. Uh, and again, that was a very big bet. And it was also a very special time because something that we always focused on, it paid off, which was selecting investors that are here for long run and they're here for impact rather than just short term. And we had that collective of investors. Obviously, we told them, look, this is what we're going to do. And they said, Dan, go do it. This is the right thing for the world. Um, we ended up signing and partnering with a couple of governments. These are like large scale projects. And some of those at that time, we had to from signature to go live within two, three, four weeks. Something that usually takes a year or two years. In some quotes that we got from some of our partners post, they thought these things could take even three years. Uh, two of our national deals, two of the largest economy in the world, we did in two, three weeks. From signature to go live for a new disease, new condition, new country. Uh, uh, and, and then we tried to help and then started to pick up. And to give you like some numbers, just a few weeks ago, a month and a half ago, in one single day, in one of our countries, we rolled out into 110 clinics and hospitals in Whoa. one single day one day one day wow. uh, and 
honestly, if you would have asked me like a year ago, can you guys imagine to roll out in two hospitals in, or two clinics? <laughs> I said, no way. You know, it takes a long time for each clinic. Yeah. Uh, so that is the, I guess, the journey we went through. A lot of learnings, a lot of collaborations, and the universe, by the way, collaborating. You know, I say, oh, we did it in two, three weeks. It wasn't only human. Everybody helped from our partners, Amazon, McKinsey, to Apple team that they started like making exceptions so our apps gets approved quickly. Uh, so we don't need to wait for each iteration because when you push so fast, you always have to improve right after. Uh, to regulatory bodies, uh, to even mailing, mailing uh, and post companies and, and delivery companies because across the board, for all of our national deals, we ship a million devices to come with our software uh, or be there so that when the patients start to roll, get rolled into the system, they, they can use it. And, and still, you know, it's going on. It's, it's not that finished the whole thing. And a lot of foundation are there for future situations. Um, but I know it's, we have to make a movie out of it. Why, why not, Dan? Who would play you in that movie? I don't know. <laughs> they're looking at me. <laughs> um, I want to talk to you about scale because I think it's really interesting what you said there when you were making that decision about what to do during COVID-19. Lots of commercial deals on the table, COVID-19 on the table. At the time, obviously not knowing what commercial value that would have, even if you would have been able to even break even, let alone make profit. But you obviously lent into that and you said it was because you remembered why you started it, which was to make impact. And so many people that come on this podcast are impact driven. And, you know, most of the people that start health tech companies are going to be impact driven because, you know, if you, if you want to make money, go to FinTech. If you want to, make, if you want to run through 20 brick walls a day and, uh, and still struggle, then probably, probably try health tech. But the scale that you've had and, and having, having that decision to make, but being able to remember why you did something, I think is quite powerful because, you, I suppose you, you see it even on a small scale, even if you're doing freelance work, for example, which you might get into for a bit more flexibility and freedom and to see your family. And before you know it, you've you know, seen the dollar signs and you filled your time 14 hours a day and all of a sudden you can't, and, and then you have to go through your realization, why did I even do this? You know, and, and that sort of thing. I think it's, it's really interesting. How, how, how has that scale been for you? How have you managed to maintain that perspective through the growth that you've had? And by perspective, what exactly? So the, the perspective of, I suppose, always remembering why you've done it and being able to lean into that impact. I suppose when you're at the fork in the road, right? On one hand, and we can edit this, by the way. When, when you're at when, that fork in the road of like, I can do what's going to be really great commercially versus I'm going to do the thing that, I feel best about that I think makes the most impact that's going to do the best for the world through the scale that you've got, obviously you've got, got it very right commercially, but you're still able to make those decisions about I'd rather do this for myself. Is that because you think making the right decision is the best long-term strategy rather than picking the right thing commercially every single time? We operate as a company based on this philosophy, and I guess history would tell uh, if you're right or wrong, uh, 
if we prioritize impact, commercial will come. Yeah. Uh, and it's a leap of faith to some extent. Uh, you know, like for instance, when we, we started like almost finalizing contracts to ship, uh, to order the devices before even we had the contracts on because there wasn't time. Uh, and, and, and some of those things, if it wasn't happening at the right time, it could have you know, even put us in a really financial you know, challenge. You know, let's say we order the, 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 the goods and then suddenly we can't, you know, something come up with the other contract and so on. But for, for me, I always have had this principle. And also I think for my team, uh, they all operate based on that principle as far as I know. And when the whole thing happened, we had an all hand. It was actually, I think, our last all hand that we were in the office. And we didn't know it's the last one, but I believe it was. Uh, so we haven't had all hands since then. And then I told people, look, guys, we're going to go through a journey. Probably it's going to be inhuman. Probably we're going to like kill ourselves almost because we're committing to things that no one has ever done. And for sure, us as a startup company, little company somewhere, you know, with 100, 200 people, we have never done it. So I cannot ask you to commit to it as a human team member employees. Anyone wants to chill, go. Continue chilling, we pay you, don't worry about it. But if you want to come in in this part and commit to this project, come in as a citizen. Mm. Don't come in as a human employees and team member. And as a citizen, we're going to become a group of people working together and I won't be your CEO I will be just another citizen next to you guys. And we're going to try and try our best. And it's going to be long nights and long weeks. And the team worked and I worked and everybody 24 hmm. seven. Uh, and it was amazing the everything that was going on and the way people collaborating and so on and so forth. So that is how it was easy for us because the impact was in core our DNA. Um, and I'm very grateful for all those decisions we made. Again, it's a bit of a luck sometimes as well. I think we got lucky ultimately to have good people, right time, right everything. I think, well, I think part of it is leadership as well, right? And I think even what you've said there about that, uh, that notion, that speech, that that finding those words to explain why it is that you're wanting to do this and galvanizing people in such a way that they can be part of something that's going to affect humanity and that will be written about in history books. And, you know, because the pandemic is of that gravity, it's, I, think, I think a lot of that is good leadership, to be quite honest. So I think, yes, luck will play a part. I am a firm believer that you make your own luck in those situations, though. It's not luck that you had a team, you hired that team. It's not luck that they were inspired, you did the inspiring. So I think there is, there is definitely something to say about good leadership in those situations from you and those that are leading individual teams as well. So I think, yeah, I, I, it, sounds, it, it sounds awesome, to be honest. And it sounds like those people will have, will be really proud of what they've done as well, including yourself, because that pride does sort of come through in what you're saying, you know, that you, you were a company, a group of citizens, that are just the, just people that, that sort of stepped up to the plate when, when the world needed it. So I think, I think that is awesome, but, but beyond COVID, you mentioned that 
we you sort of alluded to specific disease areas that you're in or that's kind of how you approach it is that how humor does things in terms of specific disease areas and if so like what are you in what are you looking to go in what does the future hold for you guys so one of the beauties of our platform that our partners love is the fact that it is actually disease agnostic we come from a rare disease backgrounds if you remember that was kind of where yeah, we started. Yeah. and because of that for rare disease you should you have to be by dna flexible and configurable otherwise you will have a deployment of 30 patients in one country and then that's it you're done uh so the the platform is flexible so you can technically do any disease but we wanted to really have a first kind of conditions or group of conditions we go with because that simplifies things something that you can get good adherence good impact good financial returns so people will start understanding these things are new you know, people need so we have been very focused on episodic care as a company and and for us episodic care is is a condition or the type of conditions that for your delivery of care you start at some point point a and then you finish point b and that's it. So you don't need to think about being engaged with the platform for the rest of your life. Which is yeah. Care. And it does have a lot of benefit. And usually episodic of cares that we get involved, either it has some sort of surgery involved in it, or the event of that disease could be significant, big complications, potential death. So you get a lot of attention. And also by virtue of that, the savings you can do in terms of the life savings becomes meaningful. So we like that. Uh, it excites us. And knowing that we saved one life, even, you know, it doesn't matter if it's millions. Even if you, yeah. just, as a human, as a whole, we only save one life, one person's life, that we have fulfilled mm. from one aspect of our mission. Uh, so that is kind of our focus, episodic care. So surgeries, like even COVID is an episodic situation. You start two, three weeks really intense, might be all good or can go horribly wrong. And if you intervene at the right time, you can save lives. And I have so many people writing to us and some people that even they're kind of friends or I met them in our journey and they ended up <laughs> on the platform. Uh, some investors that, you know, we talked to like, I don't know, six years ago and then suddenly their wife wrote to me like, oh, that's amazing and so on. Um, um, so we, we, we really, really focus on that for now. And then on the clinical or pharma space, very much on the decentralized clinical trial, because again, the impact we can have, especially in COVID time, is huge. And we are really, really excited about the whole thing. And also very proud that we are powering, I think it is the world's largest virtual clinical trial ever in, in, in human history. But I, wanted to, I don't want to take the title yet until we... <laughs> And we are really, you know, uh, pumped up about it uh, that we are part of that project and working on it at the moment. Um, and 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 I cannot ask for more. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like you are fulfilled, Dan. It sounds like you are happy. It sounds like you know you've got this to a point now where you're making the impact that you certainly wanted to. As I say, like I can I can remember us in in those little meeting rooms at the Health Innovation Network and just you know, talking about Chelsea Westminster and those early things. It was, it was cool. It was fun. It was like, 
that you know the early days of a company right where where it can all look all look rosy and, and all that stuff but i think you know seeing what you've achieved and seeing how you've done it is uh it's pretty inspiring for everyone else in the health tech space to be perfectly honest that a, a company can grow that large that it can go that global that you can do those things i think it's really cool it's really um it's really nice to see and uh yeah, just glad you're doing well, mate. You're looking good. <laughs> right, thank you. And to be honest, again, one thing that I never forget where we are is because of the contribution of number of peoples and groups that they had a pivotal impact. And a lot of people that had also significant impact in mm. their needs. And again, uh, I'm really grateful to everyone that has helped us and our journey is not finished. You know, we are still day minus hundred. Mm. Uh, I don't want to even, you know, claim that. Oh, we have we have made it from one aspect. Yes, we have saved one patient's life for yep. sure. Yeah, and, that, <laughs> uh, and and great. Uh, and that's like all worth it for yeah. everything we went through and 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 I went through. But at the same time, it's still a huge. Uh, responsibility in our shoulder because when you have the resources you have the technology you have the talent you have the people if you don't do it right and make it you know scalable and continue and uh we have done something bad for humanity and that's how i look at it so uh yeah i'm still really still excited about what we can do and not too comfortable about you know okay we have done it great yeah really that's awesome early days it's it's awesome and i think it's a really interesting point about the feeling of responsibility when you do have scale where you do have success where you do have influence and i think that is a really positive thing about impact driven people is that when they do get to that level they feel the responsibility to keep making impact and to use those resources correctly because i think all of those people including yourself will remember a time where you only wished for that amount of resource so that you could make that impact. And it comes back to what you said before, you know, about remembering why you started something. I think that's been a, a bit of a thread throughout this, that when you are impact driven and when you start a company that becomes mission driven as well, that no matter how big, no matter how much resource you maintain on track to complete the mission. And I think that seems to be where you guys are at, which is, uh, so awesome and i really look forward to seeing you know the stuff that you guys achieve and i do mean that because uh, as you know i follow your company and write about it occasionally and all those things um but dan listen it's been an absolute pleasure having you on dude i mean how uh, how, how should people get in touch with humor or yourself if they want to learn more about what you're up to uh, i think uh, team ed and sean um i have told them but i will reiterate with them that uh, because we have a couple of big stuff coming to keep you and your team in the loop for those. We are super excited about it. And uh, I think it's, it's going to be amazing for Huma, but also it's going to be amazing for our mission. Uh, hmm. And hopefully as part of that mission is impacting everyone's life everywhere in the world to live their life to the fullest, ultimately, uh, so yeah, we are, we are, we are, we are really humbled and we'll share those with you as they come. Awesome. I appreciate it, man. What, what's the, what's the website? What's the best email address for people to contact humor? Uh, <laughs> obviously I always like people to contact me first to say thank you. Uh, when people contact, 
there, there are a bunch of website links uh, uh, and, and so on in our, in our website uh, for people to contact in case different part of the organization is. But my email is also simple, dan at huma.com. Uh, if there's anything that I can personally help, uh, please do send. I, I try my best. Uh, and if I missed it, my apologies uh, in advance. Very kind. Look at that, everybody listening. A, uh, a founder at this level giving their personal email address to their uh, a hotline straight to Dan himself. Um, cool. I appreciate it, dude. It's, as I say, pleasure having you on and uh, we'll catch up again soon. No worries. Thank you. Pleasure to see you as well and stay safe. Until soon. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode. Remember to subscribe, rate us and leave a review. And you can head to the description of this episode to follow me on all of my social media so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.